When you think about water ski racing world championships, one name almost always comes to the front of mind. The reason for this is he is considered one of, if not the greatest of all time. With three world championships to his name and throw in two world wakeboarding championships, Wayne Moore casts an impressive reputation over the ski racing community. Our very own world champion Chelsea Stevens caught up with Wayne over a Zoom meeting at his home in North Queensland, where she got the lowdown on his amazing career. It's such a great story that even Wayne's daughter's budgies got in on the act. So please sit back and enjoy the story of one of the greatest ski racers of all time, Wayne Moore. To kick off, Wayne, we, we are privileged to have an athlete like you uh, on the rope. We are so, so happy and I'm pretty stoked to be the person that's doing the interview because I can finally say that I've been on the rope with Wayne. So uh, to me, it feels like I'm having a chance to actually get behind the boat with you and, and learn about everything you've done in your journey, which is which is really, really cool. But um, I guess yeah. to start off, what I want to do is, and I mean, I know that every one of us in water ski racing go through this, I want you to share with the listeners, what do you, uh, you know, what do you think water ski, wait, 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 sorry, water ski racing and wakeboarding is? Like, how would you describe both the sports to someone who's potentially never really heard of them? Like, I know, especially water ski racing, it's, some people are like, what is that sport? How does it work? And if they haven't had the privilege to watch us in action, how would you explain that to the listener? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I do explain all the ways I have explained it over, over the time, I guess. Uh, I, I say it's, it's, like a, it's like a motorbike race or a cycling race. You know, I say it's like ready, set, go. You start at one point and you'll do laps in some cases. You go around, around, around until it's finished. Uh, and, and or if it's, you know, I said, well, sometimes we go in the ocean, so it's more like a motocross race where you're ready, set, go, and you go around, around, around until it's done, and sometimes you go from point A to point B or sometimes it's a course. Um, that's, um, yeah, that's a great description. Yeah, it's for the people who really have no idea. And, um, mm. yeah, I love that way. So you're sort of comparing, comparing sort of like super bikes and, and motocross in regards to river racing and, and ocean-type conditions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's very good. It's, I might um, steal that one. It's it, it just makes it's the only thing I can sort of not that I've I've ridden motocross, but and I've never ridden super super bikes or anything. But it's I don't know, just as a visual, it's kind of the closest thing that I can picture that someone would understand. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, definitely, and it does make sense what you're saying. The different. Yeah. Good description of the different types of conditions us as water skiers can face. We can face something like super bikes, or we can face stuff like what they're doing in motocross. So it, it, it is yeah. um, it is a really good description. So yeah, let's absolutely. let's get on to you. I'm so excited. I, I really am excited. And I guess I want to start off as that. What did the young the youngster Wayne do? Like, what was your craziest dreams as a kid? I watch your little Sunny on um, on social media and just my mind how that child's already kicking goals like it is and I'd love to know what you were like when you were sort of a youngster and what were your craziest dreams back then? Um, I do know that I was full on. <laughs> um, it's due, yeah, I, as I, as you have a child and then your mum, my mum says, you were just like that? <laughs> and you go, all right, okay, well, this is what it means. So, yeah, a bit of understanding there. Um I guess it was just I've always I grew up in a family with my dad and he um, 
he was always doing something. Like whenever we go, uh, I mean, you've been to Cairns, you sort of know the landscape of Cairns, so we either can go fishing at the reefs and spearing and all that kind of stuff, we can go skiing in the lakes. So even on a day where we go spearing, no one didn't get the ski. So you just, you'd always hook two ropes on and it would be a freeboard fence bunning or a race ski, depending on how rough it was. And it would just go. So that pretty much, whether we ski, where we did that, I, I really can't remember too many weekends of my childhood that weren't filled with something like that. Yeah, that's the cool thing about Cairns, isn't it? Like you've got the weather and you've got the environment up there that you literally all year round can just do cool 12 things. months of the year, yep. 12 months of the year doing cool things. And, and when you've got Doesn't parents change, that yeah. give you that opportunity, that's that's pretty special as well. Yeah, oh my, yeah, well, definitely. My dad was an incredible skier himself, starting started way late in his time and for what he achieved in his small time, uh, he was part of it. Um, yeah, growing up around that, and he was he was more he was all about just getting out and doing it lifestyle, and and that's kind of it, which opened up my opportunities really. Pretty much, given the opportunity <coughs> to live the dream. Yep, yep, from yeah. a very young age. And your and your dad, I've had thankfully I've had a few dealings with him, and he's a very funny man too. So it would have been all <laughs> all about the jokes and laughter, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 especially over beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, how old were you when you like when you got inspired? Like, how old were you when you got started, and and who inspired you to sort of take that water sports route? Um, I guess not only ski racing, but getting out on the yeah. water and doing anything water sports. Well, yeah, <clears throat> I guess it was. So, I started at a young age in up North Queensland, as such like Townsville, even Mackay, back when I was a, a, like a, under ten skier it was it was big up here like we would get 20 boats 25 boats to the lake um and or to to an ocean race and we used to have circuit racing in the ocean back then it used to be it was it thrived back when i was coming through and i got to see so many good skiers um and i mean there's the big name ones like mark pickering um eva and carla ryan like them guys actually went on and did worlds from such a small area back, you know, in 85 mark. Pico won his world title and Eva and Carla were in that same world championships. And they're two, two lady skiers that are from Tully, which is like an hour and a half south of Cairns. So it, when you look back and you, every, every spot has a bit of history to it, you know, that history means a lot to me because that's what I grew up seeing. You know, it was these people were like, like we're kind of from the other end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I didn't know like, when you're under 10, under 30, I didn't really, I hadn't started going away then. So also yeah, I knew these guys were winning. Yeah. yeah. You're going to local comps and you just knew that those guys were going somewhere and, and doing good mm. things. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. And, and that's where it kind of started for me. That's my memories of it anyway. And that's um, what sort and, of triggered you to ask questions about what was out there. Yeah. What was the bigger picture? Yeah, and and at the time, Dad, he he was going away as well. Um, you know, like he would go down to the Australian titles here or the Queensland titles and stuff like that. And, and it was when I got to about nine under under ten boys, or and I was about nine. I think I went to my first Queensland titles in in Brisbane, and I think and I used to go to the Gold Coast Classics. Um, they were my two main things I used to do when I started 
becoming um, com competitive in the sport, really. Yeah. I remember the Gold Coast Classic being my favourite race to date. I wish oh it still ran. It was, it was an yeah. amazing race. How cool was it? I, I, I was privileged to ski the Gold Coast Classic myself in 1996 and, yeah, how mind-blowing it was to be able to race. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah, and and yeah, cool for you awesome. too because I was one of, you know, well, not only one of the best races on the calendar back then, but in your home state as well. Although it was still a fair drive, it was at least in Queensland for you. Yeah, it was the shortest one we could go to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hats off to you guys in Canberra! I tell you, you make you uh, definitely make the journey down a lot. That's for sure. Yeah, so, yeah. So that, that's a big little insight into, your, I guess, your childhood. What what really. How did it get kicked off into sort of that world class level, like your first um, world championships? Yeah. Like, from memory, was that 1997 and you got, as a youngster, yeah, you went 1997. Straight, in, straight into so, open men's, yeah? Yeah, got thrown in the deep end. Um, yeah, I, I had no idea where I, yeah. It, it started, so as I come up through under 16, under, under 10 boys, under 13 boys, the sport in Cairns kept growing. Um, so, they become a lot more faster boats. Like, you know, Gotta Be Crazy was born. Legless was born. Um, Full Ball was born. Um, just as honest, Tad Davies was always around. You know, um, Jesus, what, what, who am I forgetting? There's, there's, you know, Full Ball. Um, oh, yeah, um, and then and this is before, before Cyclone Boats um, was around. Um, juggernaut, you know, Anthony Capitanio, you know, a very good friend of mine up here has always had boats and always taken me away as a youngster. Uh, Peter Sharp, Ray Hall, um, there's a lot of people. And in about uh, 97, so it would have been about 95, I think, Cyclone Boats was born and their first campaign was with Mark Pickering um, and they took him to Belgium. And so it started becoming, and I started becoming of age where I was actually competing with these guys now. So it, it, I guess it was born in that sense. I started developing into someone or something where I could go further with it. Um, and as we got through it and years went by, I got, I guess, um, opportunities with Legless and Ray Hall and Peter Sharp, you know, and um, it was probably two years before the 97 Worlds, we went down and did a few selection races. Uh, and I think that's when Scott Cal was um, leading the charge down there for, I think it was France that year. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, and we were racing against, I went down as a 15-year-old, maybe a 16-year-old and had a crack and we actually placed in a few of them, not, not knowing or not going for the Worlds, but then we sort of, that got the, that got everything ticking really. We went down and saw where we stood and we actually thought, oh, well, maybe we got a shot if we do this properly. So you sort of went down in 95 selections, you had a bit of a crack, you yeah. actually went all right, and then a few people went, hang yeah. on a minute, this kid's got talent, let's, uh, let's give him yeah. a go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then, um, yeah, went back and a year later the Cyclone team was born and and we were, we'd come down fresh, um, you know, 96 to get ready for the 1997 Worlds, I guess. 
So the cycling team was born out of Cairns and pretty much with the long-term thought or the, the sort of short-term, I guess, born in 1996 to tow you in 1997 to win a yeah. men's world title at the age of, what, 17, 18? Yeah, well, no, I was 20 at that time, so... Um, sorry, that yeah, it was about twenty, so I just got my years mixed up. <laughs> it's a long time ago. <laughs> yes, it's sure yeah, is. Um, still pretty so amazing was, as a twenty-year-old open men. Yeah. It's like you're in open men's. You're not doing F two. You know, you're not you're yeah. not progressing. You're straight to the top of the of the field. Yeah, and um, I still remember the meeting that we had. So it was two years prior to that. Ninety-seven, so that. I might have the years mixed up of when actually we went down there because I know I was only about 16, 17, so it might have been four years before that. That's probably more the, the timeline, Josh. Sorry about that. Um, it's okay. Because I remember going down and Vichy might have been before. Anyway, I know, anyway, whatever that year was, I know it was two years later where we had a meeting at, at Dad's place, my Dad's place, and everyone involved, Louis Grosso and... Um, Gavin Mackay and Ross Wilson and everyone come around and basically we all sat down and they said, well, this is what we'd like to do. Um, this is where we want to go. What, would you be interested? I guess that's when it was born. Wow. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's funny. A few people I've spoken to about worlds, everyone thinks to have that sit-down meeting and who's serious, what yeah. we're doing and how are we going to do it. So I guess Absolutely. that's Start of the planning, isn't it? I mean, the plan yeah, is to come with your team and plan out what you're going to do. I don't know if you're interested, I guess. And, um, and at that stage, uh, we didn't, the boats, so the first cyclone boat was put into play and um, that got modified over the few years to, to become like a whiskey behind, which was was an amazing, amazing couple of boats um, that we had to take to the campaign. Very, very cool to hear how that all how that all kicked off. But I mean, looking back now, you're 20 years old. You sort of spoke about the fact it was only sort of two to two to four years prior where you you just hoeing the water about coming and travelling down south and, and checking yep. out what was going on in the in the big wide world of water ski racing around Australia. Um, I yep. guess how did how you handle the pressure of your first ever world title? I mean, you're going into this. You're 20 years old. You're you're a Cairns boy. Um, you've shown your talent, but how did you personally handle all of that? You've had a team that, that's approached you that's built all the boats and spent all the money, uh, yep. and, and how did you get your head around all of that? Um, I, I, I really believe that being so far away from it had a lot to do with it, um, had a lot to do with my maybe call it naiveness <laughs> of, yep. the pre of the pressure of what the pressure could be like. Um, and when we went down for the first few times, it was really exciting and the team was really exciting. We were all very close because well, we also lived just across the road from each other, basically. I uh, did spend a lot of time on the water, so confidence of our team was high, like very high, and, and we just knew that we got a good shot at this if we can put it together, and we did so much skiing um, and being... A little naive to the whole situation of of that. I think we just went in ready, like really ready. So the pressure didn't it didn't build too bad for me. Um, I, I I mean, always got nervous and stuff like that, but I was chasing that hard. I was chasing and training that hard that I just I was just confident. I just knew that I could do this. 
Yeah, so what I take from that is I guess that you, you were a bit sheltered up in Cairns, you're away from the yeah. politics, away from the politics, yep. you're away from the hype and, and you surrounded yourself with the right people and you knew that, that was that you were doing what it took to make it happen. Hundred percent. Yeah. That's you know, it's and not not hearing the hype and not being around listening to what people presumed or had to say or it it, it just never got to me. So it now I never never entered that side of the ski realm for many years actually it, it was just we just let a very simple we just all like to ski um you know there was a few questions and there's always nervous about am i doing enough because we're so far away from it but every time we went to race and we did a lot of racing over them two years down there and um you know in two years i don't think we lost a race mm. so on the selection side of things so obviously that that's the only judge we needed, if you know what I mean. So we didn't really care what anyone said. We were we were winning at the time, and um, and that's, probably, that's all we needed. That's all we needed. Yeah, and uh, I knew that even when we did win, I was like, oh man, did, did we do that? Like because we earned it, or did we do that because they broke down? You know, there was always little the devils in my head. Yeah, you always and, wanted to work harder. Yeah, always, always. And I get back on there, I'm like, well, it might be that easy next time, mm. you know, which which just put me in a good spot for next time and, and really didn't take the foot off the accelerator for many years, like for two years until, you know, even even the last race at the world. So I can remember having a conversation with the guys in the boat. I said, I want to win this. I don't want to slow down. I don't want to take my mind off the job. So don't take my calls. Don't baby me. And I remember having that conversation. So, yeah, it, as long as you are kept your head in the game, I think that was it for me. Yeah, and it definitely makes sense. I mean, one thing I take from what you've just said is you never really disregarded your competitors. You always knew they were right. chasing you down and you knew that you had to continue to excel so they didn't catch up in a way. Yeah, yeah, I never – I didn't I really didn't relax at all. Yeah. So, I mean, you went through that 2000, uh, so the 1997 World Championships, you were crowned the, the Open Men's you know, World Champion and it was pretty cool actually. Jack got the footage up on the telly from the other night watching you, watching you take that world title and, oh, my gosh, you look like a tiny little, little, little kid back then, you know, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, I've grown up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, that's pretty special. But it, was, it wasn't long after that, Wayne, and you decided to sort of to change sports for a little bit there and you Something triggered you, obviously, to move across and, and have a crack at wakeboarding, and uh, and I mean, you took on the wakeboarding world pretty similar to the way you took on the water skiing world. I, I mean, I'd love to know what, what triggered you to make that move, and I guess what did wakeboarding offer you at the time that water ski racing didn't? Yeah, um, well, it was um, so as I as you, when you was training flat out, um, keeping it, you know, keeping everything fresh and. Yeah, and I, I guess the, one of the big things for me when I was doing it, I, I you know, on, on the Sundays I'd always have a day where I would ski, but I, it would be like socially. It would be not going out for an hour and fogging my body. It was just, just chill, relax, and as long as I was skiing, I, was, I felt good. You know, I didn't feel like I was wasting time or anything. Um, and that, it was at that stage I sort of picked up a wakeboard and started just dicking around, I guess, and... Um, and I heard about it and I was and I started looking up and watching these videos that come along with the wakeboard. Um, had a few people there 
so after the worlds were finished, I sort of continued that. So in so ninety seven, so by the mid mid year of ninety ninety eight, um, they started having a few competitions, or there was a few competitions down in the Baltics. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll try my hand, you know, see because I, you know, I. I was doing all these tricks and I was doing a bit like ski racing, but I had no idea what anyone was doing. Because uh, once again, we were a long way from anywhere. <laughs> and um, yeah, I went down there and put my name down in the competition, and it was just a small series day. I think there might have been, I don't know, 13 or 14 people there, and I ended up winning it. So I was like, huh. I was like, it was pretty good. And then I got a check for like five hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> like you know, as you know, ski racing—it's um, not professional sport by any means, and it's quite an expensive sport. So, and for yeah. everyone, especially especially boat crews and boat owners, and you know what they have to do. And but then, even with us training, Chelsea, you know how it, it can get costly because it's your time that you can't. It's your time you've got to give here. You need to keep giving that time so you don't get a chance to, well, you can. you just got to work extra harder to make that money. Yeah, that's um, right. And I guess even putting petrol in the training boat, even those small oh, they add up yeah. very, very quickly. Very quickly. Um, and so I guess, you know, that, that come along and then out of that, there was, um, I got a phone call from a few board companies, like pretty much straight away. That said, oh look, you know, you're looking for any sponsors and stuff, and yeah, and it was kind of born out of pure um, curiosity, I guess, uh, if you could say that. It was, oh, I loved it, I loved it, and I always see these guys, and they said they're full time, and I was like, holy shit, that would be awesome. I could do something that could be a job, you know. It was like, yep, I, you know, if that can be, I'd love to do that. So. Curiosity got me in. Um, I, I sort of was, I guess, brave enough to throw my hat in the ring and say, stuff it, I've got nothing to lose. And um, yeah, it went on from there. So I guess it was nothing, it was nothing really that in a sports perspective, it was more you're having a crack, you thought, oh, let's have a go at this, and then and you realise yeah, that. I, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed doing it like as, as a sort of cross training or just a bit of a fun day. When I really enjoyed it, it was like, yeah, and then realised and when I learnt about the sport how it was actually a professional sport and you could actually earn money and be paid for it, and that piqued the curiosity as well because my thought of my thought back in the way was like, well, why wouldn't I want to do something and actually get paid for it and still yeah, have to do exactly. this kind of sport? It was like, yeah, okay, well, and that's kind of, that kind of led the curiosity and, well, if this can happen, I'll see how we go and... Um, yeah, and that was that was pretty much where it started. Yeah, and I mean, I know you're a very, very humble athlete, so you're not going to like me saying this, but you are absolutely the ultimate water ski sports athlete, and you water sports athlete, and you actually went on to win a world wakeboarding world championship as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of surreal, I guess. Um, so there was a the way the world the wakeboarding world went. After I think in 2000 or 1999 to 2000, I spent my first summer in in America, um, 
at that stage where I had enough sponsorships and stuff that I could actually go there. So I went across there and had a pretty shit season. I, I remember the first season. Um, and then and I come back home and, and worked hard and did, did the Australian, um, Australian tours and Australian comps and stuff and started learning about the sport and it was very different to ski racing, very different mentality to ski racing that was – that I had to learn all over again. Um, you know, I, you know, my, I was the determination that every athlete carries. I guess is, was a good thing. I had that, you know, and it wasn't the confidence I had in ski racing. I, I had it in wakeboarding, but I, I, you know, I had to come back a notch and learn again. I had a lot to learn. But uh, as 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 for learning and putting my mark on, on, the, on the sport, um, yeah, it, was very, it was actually very scary and had to, had to, put, had to put a lot on the line, I guess. Um, and it, over the, when my first Wakeboard World titles come around, Wakeboard World titles come around, I had, um, it was an IWSF World Wakeboard Championships. There was um, World Wakeboarding Association, which is called the WWA. And then in that year or the year before, in 1999 actually was the first year, they, the IWSF put a, a World Wakeboard body together and um, held their first Wakeboard World Titles in France, um, where I actually got second there. Um, and then in 2001, uh, I went back to South Africa in... Um, uh, Sun City School um, in South Africa, which was like a gated community, which had a massive lake, and they set up a world. The IWS, IWSF set up a world wakeboard comp over there, and um, yeah, and ended up winning it at that one. So, which was which was a pretty cool feeling. Oh, so special, and I mean, I know you're very humble, but for the listeners out there, we've just heard Wayne Moore talk about winning a water ski racing world championship in 1997 to then go on and win a wakeboarding world championship in 2001. And as we know, there's only a four-year gap there, and you literally have gone away, taken up a recreational sport, and turned yourself into a world champion in that short period of time. It's you know, nothing short of impressive, Wayne, and I, I literally I can't say anymore that you are the ultimate water sports athlete. And it's it's pretty cool to hear what you've got to say about all of that. And, and then we, we jump forward, and we jump forward only five years, so we go from two thousand and four to two thousand and nine, and we have you back. We're all excited because we've got Wayne back in the sport he belongs in uh, in water ski racing. Probably missed the adrenaline, but I'm sure you'll feel us in. And, yeah. uh, and, well, and well, there was actually another world wakeboarding. Championship before then. Oh wow! Uh, so what, what in was 2000, that one? So that was a WWA. There was a bit of a, uh, a there was a fair bit of politics with the IWSF how they come into the sport. They threw a lot of money at the sport, and the WWA wanted to boycott it. And there was just a lot of shit with it. So um, they were in in the first their first World cha- Championships, a lot of the good wakeboarders didn't turn up. Basically in France, but that soon changed and started everyone started coming and as politics that everyone tried to play politics but it didn't quite work out for them so IWSF did put together some good competitions as such um, but then um, 
in 2005. So between 2001 and 2005, I had two ACL replacements, uh, operations. Wow. And in 2005, um, I come, I was wakeboarding again, um, and it was the first time, and in 2005, it was the first time that the WWA World Championships were held outside of America. And that was put on on Sunshine Coast. Um, so, and then I got to compete there. But I did actually think that one wasn't the pro. It was, yep, that one wasn't in pro men's though because I actually wasn't pro at that time. I had too many injuries and I had to retire and go, well, go back to work and just do it part-time again. Um, so I entered that one as an open men's, in the open men's category. Hence, I'm not, I wasn't actually allowed to go to pro men's because I wasn't pro. Um, and um, ended up winning that one in 2005. So it's, it was kind of like, I guess, I put it towards, it was kind of like an F2 World Championship. Yeah. If for non-wakeboarders, if no one knows the politics. So, yeah. But even, that was I still mean, pretty cool. In my mind, even winning in your, when you refer back to water ski racing, winning an F2 World Championships when you've struggled with two ACL replacements throughout that journey is just, just phenomenal. And the power of the mind, I think, is, is pretty be cool when I listen to what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, but, um, so, yeah, so that was the journey of that one anyway. That was, that was your wakeboarding. So, so, so you've won a water ski racing world title. You've gone on and won two wakeboarding world championships across those different divisions and you've missed the adrenaline. Is that what brought you back or? No. Um, so by 2005, I, yeah, so still on the Sunshine Coast and uh, while I was on the Sunshine Coast, with, I was actually helping, um, I was the editor for a, a, a wakeboarding magazine, so I used to do the editing for Border Magazine as the editor for it, so I was doing that and at that time I had met my beautiful wife, so that was in 2003 we met, so during that transition of my injury and stuff I met Nat and we, we were living on the Sunshine Coast and um, we both we both lived in. Nat was a vet nurse on the on the on the Sunshine Coast, so we stayed there for a while. And but in two thousand and five, I we did this world title, and um, in two thousand and six, not long after, um, Nat got pregnant with Sunny. So that triggered. Um, well, you know what? It might be time to go home. <laughs> To the home to the family and to where all our support base was it's like mm, well maybe we had a bit of talk about it and we end up doing it. we end up making that move on the sunshine coast because my well my wakeboarding was you know purely only winning in, in that in that world titles because it was at my hometown and and being wakeboarding magazine we were sort of helping run it and all that kind of thing as well so I wasn't going to miss that opportunity um so I hadn't really been wakeboarding a lot then and it was sort of I was on the end of my career you could say um so we moved back home and started up old habits (laughs) 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 and uh, it was still a bit of a a ski scene up here a ski racing scene you know and it sort of died away there wasn't much of a ski racing scene at that stage um they had a lot of black races so anyway started going at a few of them and um, then it was just one thing led to another, and it, I actually had a good friend from 
well, all our good friends because everyone knows everyone is racing. I in uh, we did a few races, and in two thousand and seven, I had a phone call from Tom Lumley, um, Tom and Kim Lumley, and they said, "Why don't you come over?" Because we was, we was kept in contact with them guys a lot. And they said, "Why don't you come over and do the diamond race?" I was like, "Well, I've only had like two black races in Cairns. I'm not really skiing again." <laughs> he goes, "Well, just come over and do it." I was like. Yeah, sure, and and that's where it started. Wow! And, so and, got- uh, and it and it happened just in in two years after that. It just so happened that the world titles were back in Belgium. So you uh, are <laughs> what we can we can thank Kim Lumley and the we can, we can. from across Tom the other Kim, side like, of the yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, Gosh, you can. how crazy! Can All the way from the UK, yeah. and they got you back on the water. That's that's awesome, and. I mean, yeah. not only did they get you back on the water, obviously it was in your blood a bit because I know you then teamed up with one of the uh, one of the best teams in water ski racing with Mark Cranny and, and Team yeah. Hell and, and you went yeah. on then to, like you said, to go back to Belgium and back to Europe and, and compete in the in the 2009 World Championships and tell you what, Wayne, I was there on the banks of the, yeah. or the, should I say, the concrete wall of the canal yeah. and yeah. Um, it was some of the most impressive racing I have ever watched in my 26 years of being in water ski racing. It was just unbelievable. Um, you know, you it's and, a pretty you know, daunting place to race, wouldn't you say, like oh, when you turn up there? <laughs> 100%. It is something yeah. that is, there is nothing in Australia that can mimic uh, what happens in those canals. Yeah. And, no. You mentioned I, po- I, com- I popped up to Cairns just before I went over to do the diamond race because I was I was told it was the conditions that was most like a canal. Uh, yeah. and, still far and from it. <laughs> still far from, but I mean you just can't mimic that sort of thing, can you? And no, no, you can't. You really and, can't. And I meant that you you went over there, and I meant some of us, a majority of us, would say the unbeatable Wayne Moore's back on the scene, and he's going across there to um you know, to take on the world again. And you had the, one of the best teams you know ski race he's ever seen. And you were in yeah. one of the best races um, ski racing's ever seen against the the yeah, man himself, crazy. Todd Hay. Um, you know, fill us in a bit on that. I mean, I I, I want to know a little bit. I know there was some chaos on course into the last race. I know there was there was yeah. so much that went on in those world championships, and it'd be good to know, I guess, how you felt, what what you took out of that sort of yeah. last lap of the race, and and how I'm probably it the I'm probably the worst person to ask that question because, man, I was just hanging on. I saw nothing in front of me. Um, I, I mean, I do recall when I, I do, I do, I looked up at the time when it was happening. Um, so I just, all I know is that Todd worked his way back past us. It was a close race, like the whole time. Like we led, and then they made their move. Very typical, um, you know, Randy and. Randy and uh, Todd, they make they make their move. You know, forty minutes they love they'll push up on you, and and that's what they did, and they succeeded. Like they had they were running up the inside of the course, and their boat was very well suited for the canals, um, which it, it did give it definitely. They were, um, you know, to get to say that they had an advantage. I don't want to use that word because they worked hard for it, but. Um, they, they they were able to put themselves in positions that I guess we weren't. Um, maybe I wasn't up, maybe, you know, not being able to guard ourselves or, I, you know, I should have gone a bit harder at the time, but they worked their way past us. And they got a little way ahead of us and we fought back a little. And I guess 
all I remember is I could see Todd clearly. He was just out, it looked like a nose of a boat was up his ass basically. And we'd gone to the inside of the track again, and they were on the outside of the track. And this was maybe the second last lap, or I would say the second last lap when they, they were probably a little bit more ahead of us than that. But by the last lap coming up that straight, we sort of caution was out the window. And it was now or never kind of situation. And as we come, as I looked, I remember looking up halfway up the straight, what felt like we were halfway up the straight, thinking, shit, I've, I've got to go, like, because he's, he's too far ahead. And I know we had a timeline, a buffer of, I think it was like two seconds that we had to be within to actually win the Worlds. Um, and so we... You know, and I just, I remember calling up and I remember I feeling Cranny responded and I was like, fuck, it's now or now. I can't, like, I so desperately wanted to call down. And then we got sort of, yeah, we got, I looked up and you know how that towel sits over, there's a big towel, a big towel that sits over the finish line. I remember looking up and I remember seeing Todd in my boat right there. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we're catching Todd like, Fuck, we're going to pass, like, but I didn't realise they were turning. Like, and all I remember them turning was I looked up and I saw Randy turning and then all of a sudden Cranny's just turned the wheel and just, you know, almost, I guess, spun it out because I saw his water go everywhere. It was like, shit, did we just hit Todd or what, what just happened? And um, but I just, all that happened to me, I sunk in the water and Cranny sort of went tight, the boat went tight again and, and I, I missed oh, I missed it was so rough in that middle one turn I just I didn't come out of the water I think I got dragged through the water um, so they come around and pick me up and Randy and Todd that was the finish line that was supposed to be they should have gone straight ahead in my right. recollection they should have yeah. gone straight to the that finish was the and finishing, that was a finishing lap and they've gone to do that another was lap. A finishing lap and they've gone to do another lap so we've turned and Anyway, so when they come back, we Trini come back around, picked me up, and dragged me across the line. So, and you know what, the rest was up. The rest was all fought in the chief judges' offices and shit like that. Which even today, even actually, even having this conversation makes me feel ill that it, it that it ended that way. Just because I just know how much we put on the line. Yeah, I mean, it's sad for both yourself and Todd because yeah, at the end yeah, of the day, you camps. want to race, yeah. you want to race fair, you want the winner to win. And, and then when you've got two yep. amazing athletes like the two of you, which were literally yep. side by side, with the, with the cheering of the crowd. And I remember being there, it was just absolutely amazing to watch. And I guess, yeah, how did, after the race, I know, like, as a skier, I know what you're saying, it's outside our control. You, sometimes you don't even know what happens because all your problems no. are what you're doing. Um, I really don't know. How was it between know. you and Todd? Was it you know, between you and Todd? It obviously, um, it was difficult at the start, but as competitive. It was, definitely, it was definitely, it was definitely difficult. Not not there and then because they, I never sort of saw Todd then. Um, I never, actually, I never saw Todd. Um you know, I didn't see him for another year after that, more. Um, so all I remember that the presentations were late. Um, they didn't call open men's because it was still being fought as such. No one knew, and even Cranny, I don't, Cranny and Damo, they didn't even get to that presentation either because they spent all that time 
in delegation and, and fighting, at, you know, not fighting, but, you know, giving their putting word. Their point or across, putting right. their point across and stuff. And it took them that long to, to make judgment of that, mm. um, which was, you know, it, it took, it, I mean, the team wasn't there. It was like, man, that just happened. And I know there was a lot of ill feeling between teams and it was like, this is not what I race. No. You know, so it, it was like, uh, you know, whoever wins this, whatever, you know, it sort of by that stage I was like, oh. and having that win, it was almost like, oh, I really don't want to um, take this trophy to a point. But, yeah, but I mean. You know, and then you still worked hard and we just, you know, there would have been a winner or loser no matter what. Correct. That's right. And and you just, if that's what they say, well, you know, okay, well, that's what they say. You just accept it for what it is. And you know, some people call bullshit. Some people are like, okay, you know what? It's finished. And but honestly, that's what. That's why I went back in 2013. That's the sole reason. Yeah, and I mean, and that makes sense, Wayne. It, it, we, unfortunately, there's no draw in sports like this. No, and, and no. although you two were very, very close, the closest to a draw I've ever seen, uh, there has to be a winner. And unfortunately, whatever happens yeah. in that judge's office has got nothing to do with the two of you as athletes. You both no. made some effort. Uh, you were crowned, you were crowned world champion after after like I yep. said a very very long night. I know we're all at presentation waiting anxiously for the final results and um, and and it's interesting because I did wonder whether that's why you bounced back in 2013, but you've just come out of your mouth. So you, you sort of moved on to yeah. 2013. You came back mm. and let's be honest, yeah. I, was, I was pretty privileged. I followed the Wayne the Wayne journey the whole time. I was in Tenerife as well on a yacht, which was nice. Uh, Watching you ski around in that the vantage point, that was beautiful. Unbelievable, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. It was one of the best ski racing venues. It was just beautiful. It was awesome. But um, I, I watched you ski around. They were in huge swell, and, and Wayne, although you dominated, and I can use that word very confidently because I sat there and watched it myself. Uh, as I sipped on a cocktail, I must say. But uh, although, <laughs> although you dominated, the week didn't come easy for you. I, I vividly remember watching your boat have issues throughout the racing and you were actually physically stopping on course several times due to engine issues, but thankfully you get it going again. Um, yeah. What, what was running through your mind? I was thinking as I sat and, and watched you go around, I'm like, what's Wayne thinking? He knows he's got to get up and do things twice as hard now because every time you stop... Your competitors were coming, including that of Todd Haig, and you just yeah. had extra work to do every single race at those worlds. And, and yeah. what was going through your mind? Like, how didn't you just give up? What, what's, what's running through it? Uh, um, that, by that stage, when we we actually had three clean races, so the first race was a clean race, um, and we won. Todd actually broke down on that race, and and Weaves, Mark Weaver was um, he had a good crack in that race, um, but then Mark hurt his back, and then Wells he pulled muscle in his back, so it wasn't his time. Um, and then we uh, Todd, I know Todd, we sort of raced, and by the first lap they stopped. Todd stopped on the first laps on the first of that first Tenerife Wells in the first race, so they they were out early. Um, and so that race, we actually, we, we took a lead and sort of went to the front and thought, okay, well, we've got good control here. So we, we utilised it and got a 1,000 points, I guess. Um, uh, the next two races were pretty much the same. The, sec- the next sec- the second race, we Todd was back. Um, they got the boat going and, and I, 
it was a little nervous because, you know, we're not, we hadn't put ourselves against that team yet, you know, in the second race. And I thought, oh, well, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. And um, so when we went out, we actually, we actually just we put a really good race together where they, you know, we were in full control the whole way um, and won, won well. So um, in the third race, I thought, oh, well, Todd's going to come now because he has to. You know, and he did. He came. They came hard. Um, and they were coming up the inside. They actually passed us once on the inside. And um, I saw it. I saw it happening. And I chose. I remember choosing not to react to it at that time um, because I just thought, you know, I'm I'm skiing hard right now. I need to get my race head on before I push any harder um, because I'd sort of. I guess I drifted off a bit. Um, Took, took, yeah, took my head off the game, and um, but within a half lap, we sort of right out. It sort of that fired me up. Well, <laughs> I was like, you know, this is not going to happen. Like that's what I was thinking. You know, it could have happened, but anyway, it didn't end up happening. And we went, and um, Dan and, and Bikes, you know, gave them the signal, and they just, you know, didn't really give them another signal. They knew what, you know, they knew what we'd spoken about. So. And we put the pressure in the next lap. We sort of pulled another rope, right, half a rope length ahead already, and we kept pulling. And it was really, it was a, that to me was like, okay. And then the fourth race, the fourth race is when we had trouble when the ignition, it was what it was, it was the ignition. Oh, it kept, kept coming in kept and out. Cutting out. Yeah. So we, we, got, we got almost a half lap lead by the 30 minute mark uh, of everyone um, because. The fourth race was like, okay, no, we're going to. My instructions to the boys were, we're going to, we're going to win this one. We want, we want to win this one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we just, well, we tried to at least, you know, it's like, you know, go out with good intentions, but you never know. Um, yeah. We went out there and round and round and round. I was like, and I'm feeling confident and getting stronger as that race went on because such a good lead. I was like, yeah, I'm going to finish this off well. And um, next minute. I was like, what are they doing? Shit, what are they doing? And he dropped in the water. I was like, oh, man. And I'm thinking to myself, well, well, they can't take the little tiles off me, but I would really like to win this race. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and then we got going again, and by that stage, I think Todd had hit right up my ass then again. And we went and we pulled away again and we stopped. Yeah, so it happened about three or four times. And we ended up finishing, but we finished well behind Todd. Um, we come in second. But uh, came so, in yeah. second in that one race, but like you said, you were, had already been crowned world champion, so you yeah. sort of yeah. dominated early on in the week, and although you would yeah. love to have a clean slate, unfortunately, due to both, yeah. uh, really really worked been out. Nice but, too. Yeah. Yeah. I can't complain. I've had some people call it luck, but the teams that I've been with for my three world titles have been meticulous in their pre preparation. Oh, and yeah. I, know, I, know, I know teams can be meticulous and still have – issues and stuff but yeah I was I guess I used all my luck up yeah. put it that way you were very lucky I mean you you've run with, with the best teams in the world I mean you finished off yeah. in 2013 with Daniel McMahon 99 Psycho Clowns another one of the most well-known water ski racing teams in the world and yeah. the late Ian Baker I mean you couldn't get a better bloke yeah. than him he's just no. unbelievable beautiful family amazing man. observer amazing man just 100 percent yeah yeah so, no, really, really special. I meant Wayne Luke just covered off on the fact that you, my friend, have won 
three world championships in water ski racing, two world championships in wakeboarding. I, I can personally call you the ultimate athlete. You're, you're unbelievable. And I'm sure so many of the listeners would love to know, does Wayne have a mantra? Like over all your years of winning things, is there a mantra behind your mindset? What, what, do, you, what do you think? What's, what's the thing that you would share with the listeners? Um, I, I all, I've always had mantras ski. It's, it was taught to me before the Worlds in 97. I, I did have a guy that, a good family friend um, that used to come up and used to be very good with mindsets and, and, you know, personal developments and stuff like that. So, you know, and he got me at a very vulnerable and a good stage that I was very open and, and willing to listen and um, going somewhere with it. Um, so... And of all the mantras, and it, it is the weirdest mantra that you probably ever, and it was just a tune. It was more of a tune in my first words. Obviously, it developed after this, but um, my mantra of during during a race, so as, as I'm racing and going through my mind and the prep and get, keeping myself in that mind, um, it, it was, I am 16 going on 17. Da, 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 da. And <laughs> that started, and that was a that it was a joke. That that was an actual joke between myself and him. But because we formed such a great bond and that trust, it was something that it's, it, I don't know why it just kept it, it, that would snap me back to whatever. So yeah. as funny as that is, it was. Wow. It, it, I guess it meant something. Is what Yay. I'm saying. So for you, yeah, it meant so, something. It got your mind yeah. off what was actually yep. happening, and just yeah, it brought my breathing back down. Yeah, it brought my yeah, just you know, not you know, one lap at a t- one lap at a time. Yeah. Is, is what you know when I'm starting to go shit, shit, shit. Just one lap at a time. Let's just finish this lap. And you know, it's pretty funny so. you say that because um, I mean, I didn't expect you to say to me that your mantra was "I am 16 going on 17." Let me tell you, <laughs> but I do remember, I do remember feeling pretty privileged and pretty special in 2017, receiving a message from you before the third race, telling me, "Chelsea, all you have to do is lap count, just lap count." So. Very good tip out there to the listeners and the juniors that you know Wayne Wayne lap counts we can all lap plant count and I remember I remember lap counting and then sometimes skiing around at Seattle thinking am I up to lap seventeen or eighteen oh well say it's eighteen <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's that's cool it's um yeah I guess when you're in different conditions like wakeboarding water skiing sends all different gear conditions challenges all of that sort of thing to you I mean. Is that pretty much you just run with your mantra when you get anxious no matter what conditions? There's nothing. Yeah, when you're trying to control that. It's when you're trying to control that fear. When you feel you're starting to lose your mind, thought, like when you're going, fuck, 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 what I've got to slow. So when the Todd Hay comes up next to you, that's when Mm. you sort of kick your mantra in and go, just do what you do, do what you do. It's when I breathe. I make sure I breathe. I make sure I'm in my own head. You know, I'll take a quick glance, okay, no worries. Okay, they're getting away, that's okay. I'm, I'm okay. Or whatever the case may be, just, just to stay in it because it's easy. That's when mistakes are made. I mean, every skier would know when if most 90% of us would go, okay, let's let's think back, why did I fall then? And usually it's, I don't know, what, I don't know why, but if they thought about that thought, 
don't know a thought about it's angst. It's because they're skiing in. It's, I call it fear because you start questioning, oh, this is when all your alarm bells are going off in your head, going, you know, this is fast, you better be careful. And as soon as you say that to yourself, instead of breathing through it and even just calling down and regathering and coming back, it, it, it can start the downhill slope. Sure. And that, that, that could be whether your downhill slope might be you, you, you ran out of puff or, you know, you burnt out. Because but that's usually because that starts. Mm, the anxiousness actually takes the, the energy anxious. out of you. Yeah, yeah, because you stop breathing. Yeah, that's very true, actually. That's a really good tip, actually, for listeners is just, yeah, breathe. Breathe yourself out of those. If someone yeah. challenges you, just breathe and, and get into your yeah. mantra, whatever your yeah. mantra may be. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, my mantras did develop better after that, I must admit, but um, I did still use it. Um, I, I did do a lot of work with Craig Burton uh, in the last worlds, and he's he was amazing. Like um, man, isn't he? The man is amazing, and yeah, he Craig taught me a lot about colours and yes, and stuff. animals. Yeah. Did he? Yep. Did he yep. the animals? Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. So yeah, and Pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. So look, I know a lot of ski racing, especially it really is. It's not just a one-man band; it's a, it's a team thing. You've got your team, not only in your boat, but I'm talking about your team on your bank, your family support. Your you've already mentioned your beautiful wife Nat, and now your two pretty cool kids. Um, I mean, you've got so many people around you. What would you say is critical to have inside your team to be successful, like you have been? Um, support, like. Uh, Obviously, support and not not just not just support for the water, but support in what you're doing. Um, having having the ability to have, I guess, to be able to put yourself as them in training situations during the week, um, in my, especially in my situation, I guess, in, at the time in 2009 I was married with a child. So obviously that brings a new complexity into the whole the whole thing, like because it's not just about me. You know, it, that's the whole, like as much as you're doing your title, it's just not about me anymore. Mm. It's about making having that happy environment at home and making sure everybody's happy and not at their wits end of, like, you never hear, you know, you need help around the house, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you've got to be aware of it first, I guess, and then you've got to take responsibility for it. So having that, you know, even when you do help, it's still a lot on a family situation. Um, oh, definitely. I think it's yeah. pretty powerful and, and you hear most athletes say that having happiness and a calm environment and, and the, the right support crew is a huge part to their success. Oh, you couldn't do it without it. You would lose, you know, I've read a lot of books in my days and and when the best book I've sort of read um, compared it to, it's the flow, it's a flow, it's a flow of life. If your flow stops and starts, your momentum stops. You know, mm. it's, it's like... You know, and whatever that flow may be, each family's different, you know. Everyone's different. Every yeah. two people are different, so. 
you've got to find that. You've got to make sure you can communicate and find that, which expresses you. Find your flow, and, and I'm assuming, I mean, like you said, you're now married, you, you've got two beautiful children. I'm assuming time management came into it as well, making sure that yeah. you were present at home to keep the happy household yeah. environment, but also making, making sure you could get the job done in the background as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the last few worlds, it was, you know, obviously you you have to plan, plan your plan around everyone. Um, that, that's, that, that was my main issue well not issue but that was my main focus that i did i wanted to disrupt the household as much as i could and and work in business because i've run a small construction business for a long time now and even through my last two worlds it supported us and and we're still here um which is good it's a good feeling <laughs> yeah um but you know to have i you know get up at up at 4.30 or 4, 4.30, go to the gym, home by sort of 6.30ish, you know, when everyone's waking. Breakfast, get the breakfast done, do the breakfast thing. Um, and at the time when we did these roles, Matt was working for, like we were a family business, so Matt was, was doing the books and all that kind of thing, so it worked well. Um, yeah. And that was around the home. Um, I don't think it would have worked any other way. I'm just very lucky that that was our situation at that time, um, where the kids could be done, looked after, and because you know six thirty came, we do breakfast. I'd be gone by seven seven thirty to work for the day, um, and then that in the afternoons. In the afternoons is probably the hardest because for for Nat, um, because I'd sort of finish work, come home get ready, go and get the boat, go to the water, ski, come back, and it was sort of 5.36, you know, where I'd be walking in the door and yeah. dinner was ready. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, that in itself was massive. Yeah, and I think that's, massive. you know, that's, and that's exactly what you said. You've got to have that support at home. You've got to have that support in your team. Uh, and you've got to be in that happy environment. And, I mean, it sounds like you did everything you could to avoid family life, to avoid putting any burden on family life, but at the end of the day, there are going to be times that you're going to have to oh, have out of the water and it still does yeah. affect it, but it's a short term. Weekends day. away, yeah, weekends away, all that kind of thing, you know. It's, yeah. You know, Nat's always home. Like, you know, in the start it was just one. We just had Sunny at home, but, you know, in 2013 there was two. Yeah. <laughs> so work like yeah. Um, but I mean, I know your wife's a pretty driven individual herself, and she's very into her fitness. And so I'm sure she could understand the mindset of, of an ultimate athlete like yourself. And and um, so that's you're pretty lucky to have that special lady behind the scenes supporting you. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I like. Uh, you know, look back at it, and without. Everything that I had would have would it have happened? I don't I don't think so. You know, so it, timing was right. Had the right team around me, so it worked. Yeah, and you've done very well by the sounds of it to manage your time and balance. Like five time world champion, a, a husband, a father, and a business owner. Like that's impressive, and you should be very proud of that. As I'm sure all your support network and family are. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, although all those business wise, like. If I had to put more time to business, probably would be doing better. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not what I loved. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? We only live once. We've got to balance our uh, work and play, don't we? we can't, yeah, 100%. Uh, can't take no. life too serious. 
I wouldn't change it a thing. Exactly. And I agree. We're a little bit the same at the moment. As you know, I've got my husband who's pretty keen to kick his balls off and I'm now the nut. I'm the housewife. So it's um, it's all fun and games and I see exactly yeah. what you're saying. But yeah, I'd absolutely. Love, love to know the answer to this question and I reckon I could guess, but I'm going to let you say, um, who would have been your toughest competitor over all your years of, I mean, over your whole journey, who would you say was really, really uh, difficult for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I developed in, developed in the later years because of Todd. You know, it was that mindset of Todd, hey, okay, Todd's turn up. And, you know, I, it was funny because Todd didn't, Todd was not around, or he was. He actually, he went, he was in junior boys when I won my first world title. Mm, yeah. So everyone would look at all the results, like, oh, there he was, you know, because, and then all of a sudden you're coming up against all these little kids because I then wasn't a kid. You know, I'm still classed as a kid, but, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, not, I'm not that age anymore. And it was like, where the hell are these dudes coming from, you know? Yeah. And, and, it, and in saying that, Mick Kelly did say that uh, he has done a few two-up races with you and people did actually ask Mick who's the yeah, skiing with. That's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, who's that little fella in all your photos? That that you go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, he no, was, I, I thought it Mick would have been, um, sorry, go Mick would have to be my number one partner. <laughs> He'll like that. <laughs> I'm probably going to get lumpy to chop that out, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, it's, it's, I could have guessed Todd Hay. You know there's been a pretty cool rivalry on the water between the two. Yeah, the two it's, been a, and, it's been a fun rivalry. And, you know, it has. It, it went, we went through a patch of after the 2009 was where I'm sure it was uncomfortable for Todd to say my name. Um, but in no disrespect, I didn't mean any of that to happen. You know, it just, mm -hmm. it, like you said, it's just some, it just happened that way. And I didn't get to choose how it happened, but um, it happened for whatever reasons it happened. And I guess each team has got its own uh, view on that. And that's, that's how it will be for the rest of the time. Yeah, and look, I meant in line with the podcast name, you're both just on the rope. You're not a, you're not steering the boat. You, in a way, you were both innocent yeah, in what happened. You were both the guys that had done the hard work and, and were head-to-head, -head and, and there's not much we can do about that. I mean, if I, if I was the judges and I had my way, I would have given you both a gold medal, but we don't live in a world like that. And to be honest, we don't yeah. want to live in a world like that. So uh, it, it is what it is. But you did go on yes. to race each other for years on after that. So and yeah. I, uh, and I'm assuming there's yeah. a there's a, a lot of respect between the two of you now. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You, we know it's not a light race when we both turn up. <laughs> we, yeah. As much as we joke and as much as we do that, um, like Catalina, for instance, 2016, it was like you you go over there, and I knew I had to be ready. You know, for one, for my own safety, because you know when you ski, you go hard, you go as hard as you can, uh, and you the better prepared you are better you know the safer you are basically is my thoughts and um, i teamed up with um and it may probably uh, the most in my decorated person for ski racing in my mind that once i started learning about this guy um with mike mike avler and his family and how he approaches the sport and uh, I know that he, he's towed 
he's had a big influence on Peter Proctor throughout his life. Um, it's, you know, but uh, I would suggest he himself is the reason why I still ski today and ski, ski race because um, I still want to learn from this guy. You know, he just, he's got so much to share uh, and, and we, we're very, we're very similar, two very similar people. So we, um, it, it, it's fun. It's yeah. fun to have, have that person and, you know, that's why we ski race to make them, them friends and connections. 100%. Thank you, Mike, to a lot of the Aussies, isn't he? Um, Mike yeah, Abel is definitely a, an amazing advocate of the sport, especially in the United States. Yeah. Just, uh, I sat in a competitor's meeting with him in Vichy last year and to this year in fourth is pretty cool. He's so passionate. He, wonderful oh. man. And it do just rubs off on you. Yeah, yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you, he actually makes you feel like a kid again. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen Sonny got on the big jet plane and went over there like a little He jet, did. So. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that was a good adventure yeah. for and, him. And mm. that's the awesome thing about water ski racing, Wayne, is just the friends that we make around the world. It's so special. It's, I mean, it's been a huge part of my life, as you know, and I, I feel so privileged to have all those people around the world that I know I can jump on a plane and, and go and stay with. It's, it's really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's a special sport uh, and... Uh, you know, it, I guess it's going through a bit of a hard time right now, and a, um, you know, but I do think it's it's a good enough sport that it'll find its way. Yeah, and I think that's why we're all, all of us who are passionate about it are trying to get this pot up and running just to, to get the word out yeah. there to, to, you know, just to make the sport a bit more known to the public and, and show the passion and how cool it really is. And, I mean, talking about friends all around the world is, is an important part to that. I mean, we're very fortunate, all of us, with the life we've had within the sport. And you just shared you that you. With, your, with your Mike Abler story. And even Kim Lumley, we can thank the awesome Kim. She's yep. one of a kind to love her to death. And we can thank yep. her for getting you back into the sport, which is really cool. <laughs> But, I mean, I, I want to know, I want to know, I mean, you are the ultimate athlete. I know I keep saying it, but I can't say it enough. And I'd love to know what a day, uh, and I sort of did run through this, so we probably don't need to touch so much on a, a day in the life of Wayne Moore because you touched on that before. But I'd love to know, I guess, one tip how all the youngsters out there or the passionate water ski racers, what is one thing that, that you would share with them? Uh, you know, what's one thing you think it really it takes to, to make it happen in water ski racing or to be an athlete in general, really. I guess the non-negotiable, uh, what is the non-negotiable success in your mind? Oh, mate, probably, oh, they, to me, there's, there's, it, it's all, that's, that's, a, that's an awesome question. And I do think that for me, if I had to tell someone to start building someone to have the head and the shoulders to, to be able to, if anyone can get the body and the physique or the physicalness to get there, I believe, I believe, but to have the head and the attitude that can keep going back and building, getting stronger, taking taking losses to get, you know, doing all the shit, all the parts that no one sees, no one sees the tears. Uh, no one's no one sees the injuries, but and for me the thing um, that gets you through that is just be true to your word to yourself. Like just if you say something, doesn't matter how slow or how long it takes you, just go and do it. Like just don't don't stop. Yeah, very 
powerful. And I, I sort of recently in my talk spoke about the same thing. I sort of said, you know, if you're true to yourself and you're passionate and you love it, then nothing will get in your way, will it? Like it's if you're not if you don't have your heart in it, then you're probably gonna drop out or you're probably not gonna do what it takes. But if you are passionate and love it, you will you'll find success if you, set, if you really want it. Yeah, if you set your alarm clock for four o'clock, honor it, get up. Mm. And just don't, don't let yourself that resilience. Down. Don't let yeah. yourself down. No, because then, yeah, that only forms a conflict inside yourself. That's pretty cool. Set your alarm clock for four a.m. and get up and do it. Because the thing is, I always yeah. remember um, early days as well. Getting someone telling me, "No one's going to do it for you." So if you don't do it no. yourself, it's not going to no. happen. <laughs> no. And, and that, that that saying is a whole lot different when you start doing. <laughs> I know, I know, yes. I mean, in the words of Craig Burton, and I'm sure you've heard this one, um, world championships aren't won in the gym, Chelsea. They're won on the water and in your head. <laughs> yes, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope Craig doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> so, look, um, I guess just to touch on uh, this just briefly, like diet, is there any, did you ever really follow anything like that or you just ate what you knew was right to fuel you to do what you had to do or...? Um, no, I, at the early stages I visit dietitians and stuff and I try to do it properly. You know, I, I had no idea about diet really. Um, and then the more and more I started training and uh, learning and sort of hearing and listening and the more and more I realised how much it actually it actually meant. Um, so, yeah, and, and diet still, the dieting thing still evolves today for me, you know. Um, you know, I can't. I don't eat like I used to when I was training full on, but it's still, you know, this. Yeah, it, I just try to try to have a little bit of discipline with the food. You know, I mean, you always have your binges and Christmas times and Easter times, and that's all good. But you know, ninety percent of the time, eighty percent of the time, I do try to eat well. Uh, a good eat well, yeah, eat well. Um, and know, for those that have. For those that have seen your smoking hot wife, I think you'd be getting the right food served up on the table as well, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, uh, it's um, when I cook, it's like, yeah, I'll cook next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I guess you're right. There's so many dietary advice out there, but you, know, you sort of, like you said, eat well. And I mean, I myself just bouncing back from pregnancy and downloaded the MyFitnessPal and, and, and sort of trying to manage that sort of eating side of things again as well. And it, it, it is, like you said, you've just got to eat right. It's, it's nothing, yeah. no secret recipe behind that. Yeah, and it's, that's not easy to do either. <laughs> I think it was you, know, you, just, you sort of said 80 to 90% of the time, which means you're allowed to have a little bit of you know, crepes or yeah. chocolate. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's 100%. Like, I mean, if you're doing the work and everything else, I mean, Unless you go vegan or unless you go big, and I've read up about all that kind of thing, and I would have loved to try that. You know what I know now. I mean, I'm I still love reading and watching videos of different kinds of diets and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it always intrigues me that there's so much out there. So you know, you just got to find find what works for you, find what gives you the energy and lets you back up every day. And when you're under the pump and when you're injured, you got to eat. Make sure you recover well. Yeah. It's, a, it's a learning curve. It's all learning curve and we're all always learning. I'm a little bit like you, a bit of a book and a podcast junkie and, and just take 
take it, take all the advice in, but I think the best thing you said in that little dietary bit is what's right for you. Um, and, and yeah. Pretty powerful uh, four words there, I think, or yeah, five words. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just yeah. do what you yeah. think's yeah. right for you. That's, that's pretty yeah. cool. Now, look, we're getting yeah. to the end because I can hear I can hear the amazing canned wildlife in the background and your beautiful children, <laughs> so I don't want to keep you all quiet. And, um, and, I mean, I'm in freezing cold Melbourne. You're probably got 35 degrees up there and you're probably starting yeah. baking. <laughs> i got a, I got a singlet on and sitting here looking on the outside. <laughs> oh, I bet you have. And I'm rugged up with beanies and stickers and you name it, I've got it on. So, and um, look, but what I would love to finish off on, there's so much more to wane outside of water sports. You are water, water sports royalty and I know you're humble and I know you'd hate hearing me say this, but you are <laughs> one of a kind. You're unbelievable. Won three world championships in water skate racing, two in wakeboarding. You are the man when it comes to water sports. But outside of that, I know you've got an amazing wife. We've spoke about that. We've got your two beautiful children. Um, you know, give us a little bit about life outside of the water sports, like a little bit about your family. And, and, and I would love you to finish off with a bit of a fun fact that no one would know uh, about your family that, and, and yourself. Um, well, we're pretty, well, I guess we're just a typical family. Got Sonny, he's 14, he's, he's at high school and going through all that kind of deal and, JJ, Jada, she's nine, and she's in year four at Brighton School, so there's a five-year gap between the guys, which is it's actually a nice gap, so he gets quite protected by his little sister. <laughs> um, <laughs> mate, but I guess, you know, morning comes, everyone gets ready for school, and that does shift work now. She works at a vet, she's a vet nurse uh, at an emergency centre, so sometimes that works through the night, uh, so sometimes we're up getting ready for school. Um, Mum comes home, mum, mum, they can hop in the car and Nat will take them to school before she gets goes gets to have some sleep for that next day for her next shift. So, you know, we're just a typical traditional family that does whatever it takes to make it happen. Um, yeah, we do love doing, we're a very active family, I guess. We, whether it's walks on the beach or um, walking up, trails at Red Arrow or skiing like yesterday we all went we went social skiing up to the dam now that we're allowed again um, which was a great day and, and that was up there with my sister and her kids and, which was really great um, and then this morning I was back up the dam having a barefoot with some of my mates early like five o'clock early um, just as sun broke to get some water and, and that took the kids out uh, ran the dogs at the beach so I mean we don't usually stay home a lot. <laughs> it's we're always sort of either or we're all either doing something. Um, and the kids, they're very active kids, so um, yeah, we live in the outdoor life. We live in the outdoor life, yeah, and because we can, because I mean, Cairns is one of them um, climates that you can. You know, it gets a little bit cool. I'm not going to say cold. I won't. <laughs> I won't embarrass myself saying that to someone in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it does get cool. Um, but it's it's um, it's still nice, you know. We we just got to deal with a lot of rain and a lot of water. That's all. Yeah, and, and you were saying you were just about to say Sunny. Do you have an update on Sunny? Yeah. So yeah, Sunny. So Sunny's so he's done Muay Thai for four yeah. years now, um, and he's done that pretty heavily. And, He's been to Thailand and done a junior world title and he's, you know, he's 
passionate about it. You know, if you ask him what he's passionate about, that would be it. Um, last year, he had an accident at the gym and he, he got his he broke his nose, got his nose broke, and uh, so that sort of caused him a bit of time out. Um, and I think a little bit of time out helped him because he's always wanted to play football, um, rugby league football up here. So he had his first season as a footy player last year. Um, and he's given fighting a break. He's, he's a Muay Thai fighting break um, for a little bit, but he excelled in his football and he's really enjoying a team sport because um, he's never really been involved in the team. Muay Thai is very much like uh, it's very isolated. It's very individual sport. You might see you're at the back, you're at the back by yourself. Um, where a team sport is really, he really loves it. He's a, he's a very, he's a little people person. So he loves it. He loves, he loves his mates and loves hanging out. Mm. Um, like father, like son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very close. And, and Jada, she, she's, she loves to dance at the moment. She's riding to dance. And she's very good at it. And um, she's, she, she's. Loves animals. She's so she's following mum's footsteps very closely. She's got a pet budgie. She's got a pet fish, and she's got a pet dog. <laughs> and she is the best caretaker, not the only caretaker that I've ever seen. She dotes over him, makes him breakfast, and cleans up the cages. She's she's just a little worker. So yeah, so I've got two very beautiful kids. So like mother, like daughter, by the sounds of it. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. You've got a little mini each, which is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Well, my mini's not that mini anymore. He's nearly as tall as me, so I've got to watch what I say because he can fight. Yeah, but nearly as tall as you know that uh, from the the Mick Kelly comment that uh, it probably won't take one Maritime power over you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's all right. I, I knew it was coming. Thinking about fun facts, you haven't shared one yet, so I wouldn't mind sharing one with the audience. And uh, you might, I'm sure you've heard this as well. Oh, not the doggy door. Not the doggy Well, oh, the doggy door, you just reminded me. That was your place. <laughs> no, so let's share two fun facts. The first fun fact is I remember having a drink with your loving, lovely wife, Nat, and we were talking about marriage and weddings, and I, uh, she showed me a photo, and I said, oh, you got married on a beach. And her response was, yeah, we decided to get married on a beach so I could dig a hole for Wayne so he'd be the same height as me if, if I stood in the hole. So he, sorry, he dig a hole for me so I could stand in the hole so I was the same height as Wayne. <laughs> that's oh that's not the funny part. You want to hear the funny part? Yes, I would love Her, her mum, Nat's mum, on our wedding day, gave me a, a plastic bag with two phone books in it so I could stand on them as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just uh, remember yeah. I was so that's, very funny. Yeah, so that was kind of like, yeah, whatever, I'll remember that. <laughs> for, the audience, for the audience that don't know uh, your wife, she is probably, how how much taller? Maybe a foot? Oh, no, not that much. Nearly, nearly close enough. Nearly, nearly, yeah. Nearly. So it's, it's, it's cute, it's awesome, and I just remember it was quite funny. But now that you've raised the doggy door, thank you for doing that. <laughs> Ted and I were having a pretty good night out with a few of our friends, one Southern 80, and we were locked out of my parents' house, just so the audience know. This was in Echuca. Echuca was one of the biggest ski races of Southern 80, and I think Wayne was actually skiing with the main man, Nick Kelly, this year. And a group of us decided to go back to my parents' house, but we couldn't get in because the house was locked. So we chose the smallest man in the group, the ultimate water ski racer and wakeboarder himself, Wayne, and we sent Wayne 
through the doggy door, which was quite amusing for everyone else involved except for the And I was successful. <laughs> and you were successful, I will give you that. And the funny thing is my mum has a pug, so she doesn't even have a big dog. It's a very small dog <laughs> door, so you uh, are, yeah. I think, I think yep. the wake for you to get in all different positions and obviously yeah. that worked to get you in the doggy door. And I, I, I do remember having a helping hand from Luke Keys. He was pushing pretty hard <laughs> to get me through that door. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, uh, it ain't easy, Keesy. Yeah, it ain't easy. Yeah, that's it. It's so funny. Look, Wayne, can't thank you enough to finish off. I mean, some of the highlights that I've taken out of this pod with you is that uh, not only are you a, a five-time world champion across two different water sports, you're a family man, you're a business owner, you're, you're passionate about about water ski racing and uh, and, and just to, to cap on a few of the things that really sat with me was that you, know, you talked heavily about having support at home, support within your own, within your own crews and support everywhere around you. you went on to then sort of go on about how mindset is key. Uh, you know, if anyone can get the fitness in the gym and, and do the skiing, but at the end of the day, everyone, not everyone can get that mindset that's required and, and, and you have to work hard for that. Um, and, and went on heavily to talk about being true to yourself and, and work for it. You know, if you set that alarm for 4 a.m., you said you've got to get up. No one else, no one else is going to do it, which is no. so and that, true. And, and they were sort of my highlights was- about you, really. Oh, there's one more probably thing I can say there, that mindset, when you sort of mindset, the only, the only thing that can help that mindset is to look at the person in the mirror. Yeah. And if you can't, if you can't do that and if you have problems with that, that's, well, that there's, there's your weak point and you, it's something you're going to need to do at some stage. Yeah, very, very Yeah, it could be in all different kinds of things. It could be I need it. Yeah, and it's not necessarily you won't know why you have to take a double take and have a chat to yourself in the mirror or whatever and, and be truthful to yourself. Yeah, and, and I mean, I totally agree with you. I, like I said, I've read in a lot of books and any books about success or about happiness or about just being a human, really, it talks about that the only person yeah. that can change things, the only person that can make things happen in your life is yourself. So. Yeah. Very, very true. Look, at, look in the mirror and, and, and assess where you're at and what you're doing and, and that's the only person that can make it happen. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. Wayne Moore, thank you, thank you, thank you. I have loved being on the road with you. You are the absolute ultimate athlete. I, I feel privileged to have had this opportunity to do my first podcast with you. Um, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank, uh, I think you said it was Jada's, is it a, what was it, a budgie or a? Budgie. Yeah, yes, the budgie. The budgie has had lots of involvement in this podcast, which has been pretty cool. There's a few. There's one more thing you've done, and you've sold me the canned life. So I'm going to get off this podcast now, and I'm going to hit up my husband Jack and see whether he wants to eat in a 35 degree temperature instead of 50. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and and thanks, mate. I appreciate you taking the time away from your awesome family. It, it's an absolute privilege, and I cannot wait uh, for listeners to, to listen to the story of the ultimate athlete in yourself. Thanks. Thank you very much, Chelsea. Thank you for um, the interview and, and thank you for um, your time. This episode of On The Road was brought to you by Coldies, Bull Bars and Tow Bars, Savage Force and Automation and Robotics Services. It was produced by Boris the Boxer Productions in conjunction with Bisho Media, Mel's Media and Bad Lad Productions.